I am up here only for a few seconds because I have the privilege of introducing our speaker tonight. Uh, many of you guys already know her. Her name is Mary Ashton Floyd. She is our graduate resident. She moved here last August. Was it late August? And uh, she has jumped right in. She's helped lead our college ministry. Um, and she works tirelessly throughout the weeks with a, a lot of you meeting with people. And uh, so tonight, you guys get the treat uh, of getting to hear Mary Ashton speak to us tonight from uh, what she's been uh, marinating in. And so give it up for Mary Ashton. Here she is. Thanks. Good intro. <laughs> Hi, guys. Okay, quick poll, because I think this is funny. If you, probably girls, but maybe guys too, if you saw one of these when you were like, 11 or 12, what's the first thing you think? Britney Mike, thank you. It's a Britney Mike. That's the first thing I thought of when I saw it. It just makes me laugh. Um, but I'm Mary Ashton. Uh, like Andy was saying, I'm working here at Crossings. Um, it has been so much fun. I get to hang out with college students all the time, and it's great. Um, and yeah, I'm originally from uh, Fort Worth, Texas. Any Texans? Anybody? Thank you so much. Uh, it's a really great state. Oklahoma's great too. Um, and then I went to uh, Wichita State. Any shockers? Long shot? Anybody? Tough times. Okay. Um, it's a great school. <laughs> it really is. Wichita State University in Wichita, Kansas. Um, so that's where I went to school. And then I did a program um, in Branson, Missouri called the Kanakuk Institute. I got to study the Bible for a year. Spent a bunch of years at Kanakuk. Um, Worked for Young Life last year, and now I'm here in Oklahoma City. So I've kind of been all over the place, um, but have landed here and have just um, loved it. Love being a part of Crossings, and this young adult community is not normal. It's pretty awesome, and I've just been so grateful uh, to step in and be a part of it. So tonight, I'm going to talk about two stories. Um, one that you've probably heard comes from the book of John. Um, and then another one that you most likely have not heard because it's my story. Um, it's pretty personal, it's pretty honest, pretty real. Um, and so bear with me. Those are the two stories I'm gonna tell and I'm gonna kinda talk through um, how they match up and what we learn about Jesus um, through these stories and also ourselves and um, the hope of Christ through that. So, but first I'm gonna pray because I need to. Um, Jesus, thank you for today. Thank you for this room of people uh, praying with me. Thank you that we get to live in a place where we can do this, or we can say your name out loud and we are safe. Um, thank you that you see us and you know us and you're for us and you are so big, um, but yet you're intimately concerned with every detail of our lives. I just thank you for that. Thank you for who you are. I thank you just for the opportunity to stand up here um, and to teach about your word and who you are and what you've done and what you continue to do in our lives. Lord, I just pray that you would calm my heart um, and you would speak um, and that we would all walk away knowing Jesus more because of it. So you're gonna pray, amen. Okay, so uh, the text we're gonna be in is John 4. So if you have a Bible, you wanna flip to John 4 um, or your phone or whatever, uh, we're gonna be in there pretty much the whole time. But as y'all are getting there, I'll just kind of set up the context of the story. If you've been in church or Young Life or K-Life or whatever for any amount of time, you've probably heard this story. It's the story of the woman at the well. Um, as I've been studying this passage this last week, it has drive me nuts that she doesn't have a name. I'm like, literally I'm talking about her and I'm like, woman? Like I just feel like it's weird to call her the woman at the well. So I thought about naming her, but then I didn't know if that was sacrilegious, so I didn't. But um, we just know that her name, that she's just the woman at the well. I'm sure she had a great name. Um, 
But her story comes pretty early in the book of John um, in chapter four. At this point, John one is when Jesus shows up on the scene. That's where that famous passage, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Um, That's John one. And then John two, we see Jesus perform his first miracle. He turns the water into wine in the wedding at Cana. Um, And then he starts calling his dudes. He gets his disciples, he gets his guys. They start doing ministry, they're going about. And then we get the story of Nicodemus in chapter three, and then that brings us to where we are here in chapter four. Um, And so the way that Jesus ends up with this woman at the well is Jesus and his guys have been down in Judea, and they're about to go back up to Galilee. Um, So Judea is south, Galilee is north, in between is Samaria. Um, And Jesus is gonna do a weird thing. He's gonna choose to go through Samaria, uh, which is not normal. We're gonna talk about that in a second. But the main chunk from this text is an encounter that Jesus has with this woman at the well. It's so unusual, it's so bizarre. We're gonna talk about that in a second. Um, But through it, we learn a ton about who Jesus is, who his character is, why he does what he does, uh, who this girl is, who we are as humans. Um, So we're gonna take a look at that and then actually what it looks like to be set free um, from shame and to find our satisfaction in him. So that's kind of where we're going. Um, But we are gonna go to chapter four, verse seven. It's kind of a lot of reading, so bear with me, but it's gonna be up there. It really is. Okay, so it says, a woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks from this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. So a couple of strange things that are happening. Like I was saying a second ago, it's bizarre that Jesus even went through Samaria. So there's gonna be a map up there because I think it's helpful. The main route that Jews usually took was the long one off to the right um, to get up to Galilee. Uh, It's actually longer, but that is how much Jews actually hated Samaritans. They wouldn't even travel through there. Um, It's a kind of hate, I was trying to think of analogy, but there's nothing that we can even fathom. It's just a deep hatred for one another, so much so that they won't even walk on their land. Um, But Jesus says something very interesting um, in verse four that I didn't read, but it says he had to go through Samaria. So you read that and you think he physically had to go there, but he didn't actually have to go there. He had to go there because he had this divine appointment um, set up for him to meet this woman. He had to go and meet her. He didn't physically have to go there. So just an interesting thing that I thought was makes a lot of sense because it just shows Jesus' heart and his purpose that he specifically went there to meet this woman. Um, So it's weird for a Jew to be in Samaria at all. That's the first thing. The second thing that's weird is that he's talking to a woman. Uh, Bizarre. Just in that culture in general, to talk to a woman would have been, that wasn't your wife, was just a no-go. So that's bizarre. Um, And the third thing is that it's really, really weird for her to be at the well in the middle of the day. It says at the sixth hour, which we know to be noon. 
And you've probably heard that if you've heard this talk or this passage of scripture talked on before, but it's really, really weird that she's there. Um, And from that, we are gonna see in a second that she has some tough baggage that she's carrying, some hard stuff in her life. So she is at the well at noon by herself, um, and the custom of the time was for all the women to go to the well together early in the morning, all of them. So think, I don't know, I'm trying to think of something normal. Girls hanging out brunch on Saturday. Um, it was the custom for them to all go together. They didn't, she did not, she was very clearly um, walking in some shame, some ostracizedness. She was apart, she was by herself. Um, and probably just really tired of it, tired of the judgment, tired of facing these women, Um, so she decided to go by herself at noon. So, in a second, we're gonna see why, but basically the girl is thirsty. In the literal, like, in the funny way, like sliding into your DMs, like thirsty, like that way, and then also in the way of like physical thirst. Does that make sense? Um, She's thirsty, and so, and a lot, you can laugh, it's okay, Um, but, So Jesus is gonna relate to her on her physical level. It says he's weary and he's tired from his journey, so he's sitting down at the well. Jesus was thirsty too. Like, he was the God-man, right? Fully God, fully man. Um, And he was thirsty too. So he's gonna relate to her on this physical level then to slide into the spiritual level here in a second. Um, So in verse 15, you can actually hear, I think, you can very clearly hear the desperation in this girl's voice. Um... The way I translate it in my personal brain is she's like, okay, yeah, give me the water. Give me the dang water so I never have to come here again by myself, midday, uh, hiding from the others, put me out of misery and give me this magic water. Meanwhile, at this time, she doesn't even know who Jesus is. She doesn't know he's a prophet. She doesn't know he can do anything. He just offered her living water. She doesn't even acknowledge the eternal life part. Uh, But she says, yeah, give me the water. And so in that point, we can just see her desperation. And I just picture her... If you've ever had people gossip about you or behind your back or someone talk about you in the hallway or whatever it is, I just picture this girl walking through town. Everyone is whispering about her. Um, she's getting the side eye and she's just done. She is over it. She is sick of it. And so she is desperate in this situation, longing for something to satisfy her soul. Uh, so she's like, fine, bring it on. Give me that water um, before she knows anything about it. So we're going to jump back into that passage. You're going to see why she's so thirsty. Um, verse 16 says, Jesus said to her, go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet, which I think is kind of funny. It's like, she just, duh. Um, Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You will worship what you, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. So this is the part, that first part was kind of set up. Um, This is the part I really want to focus on. Um, He does something here that you kind of cringe at. Um, He asks her to go get her husband. Meanwhile, he knows she doesn't have one. You're kind of like, dude, that is rude. (laughs) It just kind of like seems pushy. It seems aggressive. He's like, go get your husband. And the first time I read it, actually several times I read it, I was just like, ouch, like, 
It actually made me think of, have y'all seen Bridesmaids? I'm sure you have, probably not the most appropriate reference. But um, that part at the engagement party when like the annoying redhead girl is going around and she's introducing the funny blonde girl and she keeps assuming these people next to her are her husband and the girl's super single. And then at one point she's like, this is my husband, you don't have a husband. And it just makes me laugh because she's just highlighting her singleness. Like even if you just didn't have a husband, that would be rude. at this point, but um, he does something that we're just like, that it seems rude, it seems aggressive, um, seems unkind. Um, But this is where we're actually gonna see how much Jesus loves this girl. He loves her. Um, And he is so passionately in love with this girl that he is gonna be willing to go to a place that's uncomfortable. Um, He's gonna press in on this hard part in her life, not to be mean or to be rude, but because he wants to set her free from the thing that is holding her back, the thing that's causing so much shame in her life and in her heart, and it's affecting every part of her life. Um, so he presses in. Um, and he asks about her husband, but not because she needs a husband for the living water, right? It's not that she needs that. Um, he says it because he wants her to come to him with all of her, not just part of her, all of her. Um, And I think it's interesting, because he very well could have just been like, girl, he did it to other people. He said, go and sin no more. Like, he could have just said, I know what you're doing, but I forgive you, have a nice life. He totally could have said that. Um, But instead, he didn't want to just fix her. He didn't want to fix her problems, he wanted to set her free, which is kind of the thought that I think of the whole way through this. He didn't want to fix her, he wanted to set her free. and use her for way more than she could have ever imagined at this point. So at this point, she kind of dodges him, right? She kind of slides away from the question. She like starts to ask a theological question, like which mountain should we worship on? Um, instead of letting him press into her heart, she dodges, stiff arms him. Um, but he keeps pressing in, and then he basically says like, you're not getting it. Um, it's not about where you're gonna worship. It's about, that's all about to change. Um, the true worshipers are gonna worship in spirit and truth, and that's a whole nother story. Um, but basically, he's pressing into this girl's heart, she's not getting it, she's dodging it, um, but we know that she's desperately longing for something more out of life. That's kind of her situation. Um, so we read this, we know she's desperate for love and affirmation, something to satisfy her soul, um, and Jesus is trying to step into that. Um, and so I think I love this story um, a lot, because I'm just a lot like this girl in a lot of ways, not the five husbands part, but um, in just a lot of other ways. Uh, She is, I would assume, um, with we don't know why she has five husbands, right? They could have all died, she could have cheated, they could have cheated, but she kept getting married. Um, And then now the guy she's sleeping with is not her husband. Um, So she has this desperate longing. She's looking, I would assume with every marriage, maybe this'll be the one. Maybe this will be the time that I'll be happy, that I'll be content, that I'll be satisfied. And she keeps going for more and more and more and more, and she's not finding it. She's at the point where she's now at the well and she's talking to some random dude at the middle of the day, all by herself, willing to take the magic water that some stranger is gonna give her. Um, And that's really a lot of um, my personal story. I have this quote that I love by C.S. Lewis. It says, if we find ourselves with the desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. Um, And from the time I was like 
12 or 13, I remember longing for something more out of life. That question rang through my head. I was like, there's gotta be more than this. Um, there's got to be more. I grew up in a church, a home that went to church a lot. I had heard a lot about Jesus. I heard the gospel tons. I got saved like truly nine or 10 times. I was like really into the whole altar call, Bible candy situation. And I'm sure a lot of y'all were too. Um, but I never had an understanding of the gospel until much later of my life. I didn't have a life-changing, saving faith um, until I was in college. Um, so, just like the girl <laughs> at the well, I longed for more out of life. Um, and for her, it appeared to be men in relationships, right? We've covered that. That led to shame and isolation and sorrow. Um, and for me, there's five major things that I would say um, I use to try to satisfy me in life. And this is where it's gonna get pretty personal and I'm gonna share these things in my life that I tried to shove into this God-sized hole in my heart and had no idea um, what I was looking for. So the first thing uh, was sports. If any of y'all played sports, I had these big ambitions as a kid. Um, I thought if I could just get a college scholarship, if I could just play volleyball, all the time, um, that would satisfy me, right? I would be happy. I'd find my contentment and my passion and my love for life in sports. Um, and it was good, I got the things I wanted. I got to go play in school and um, I got the praise, I got the awards, I won the games. Um, but I remember getting this award in college actually, the one that I, the big one that I thought I needed to have um, to prove that I was good enough. And I literally sat down in the locker room afterwards and I was just like, there's gotta be something more. You hear that all the time from athletes. There's gotta be more. Um, that didn't meet that need. I was still left wanting something more. Um, the second thing I tried uh, when I was younger was for some tangible control um, in my life. Um, in a time in my world and my family and my home when just a lot of chaos was going on and I was desperate for some control. Um, and I sought this through control of my body and I started struggling really badly um, with an eating disorder, specifically anorexia, by the time I was um, 15. But never would have called it that until much, much later. Um, I had more attention than I had ever had. I had this goal body, this perfect thing that I thought I needed to satisfy me or make me happy. Um, and I had never been more sad, weak, alone, or insecure in my entire life. Uh, that was number two. The third one, I thought, okay, those didn't work. Um, I'll just reinvent myself. I've been this good girl my whole life and it's never gotten me anywhere. I'm not happy, I'm not satisfied. Um, I'm still longing for more out of life. So I started drinking, I started lying, I started sneaking out of my house, started doing all those things. Um, and I thought that that would bring me life and happiness. Um, and it did not. I still wanted more. Uh, the fourth one, was autonomy or independence. I just thought, if I can just get out of this house, get out of this town, um, get to college, then I will be happy, I will be content, I will be satisfied. Um, and that didn't work. Same struggles, new location. Um, and then the fifth one, I'm sure plenty of y'all have thought this right along with me. I thought, if I just have a relationship, a boyfriend, this will satisfy me, this will be the thing I've been looking for all my life, that searching, that longing for more, it must be another person, that makes sense. Uh, they will complete you, they will make you happy, your soulmate, whatever. Um, 
And y'all know that didn't work, um, 100% didn't. Um, so I got it all, right? I willed myself to get these things. And from the outside looking in, it looked like I had it all. I had everything that, I was strong-willed. I had everything that I thought I wanted and needed in life um, to be satisfied, to be content, to be whole, whatever word you wanna use. Um, but I had never been more dissatisfied, out of control, um, unhappy and lonely in my life on the inside, and I knew it. Um, but the worst part was that I woke up every single day and pretended to be perfect and happy and completely unaffected by the weight of my sin that was crushing down on me and a really, really deep, stirring guilt and doubt um, from just an anxious and confused life. So that was a lot to hit at you. You read that, you're like, shoot, that girl was a mess. Um, and I was, and it's hard to listen to. You read that and you're like, that poor girl, I just wanna like lift her head up and give her a hug and tell her about Jesus and that it's gonna be okay. Um, but the thing was, I knew about Jesus at that time. I knew all about him. I just didn't know him. I did not have a relationship with him. I knew all about him, not all, knew a lot about him. Um, but I did not have any form of a real relationship with him. So um, when I got to college, the Lord had a very different plan for me than the one that I had, um, clearly. Uh, but he had this, honestly, a saint of a follower there waiting for him. Her name is Katie. Uh, she's my best friend to this day, and she is someone I met the first day of school. Uh, we played volleyball together, and she exuded Jesus in a way that I have actually never seen before or since. Um, she had this way of being truthful while being loving at the same time, um, and she asked me the hardest questions that I had never been asked before, like, why do you do that? Why do you choose to spend your Saturday nights like that? Not in a mean way, not in a judgy way. Um, she just cared and started asking these questions. And slowly but surely, I was drawn to what she had. You hear that a lot, right? You're drawn to what the follower of Christ has because it's just freedom. Um, so I started getting involved with FCA and Young Life and kind of crawling my way back into church. Um, and for the first time in my life that I can really tangibly remember, I really started to love God. I did. I loved, started to love him and want to hear more about him and hear about Jesus in a way that made sense to me. But I also really, really loved my sin. Um, and I'm sure a lot of you have been there or you are there when you're at this tension of the Lord is calling me. I'm going towards him. But I also really, really love the sin that I'm in. Um, and so the way it felt, this is silly, but like if you're a lake person or a boat person is the way like, you know when you're on a dock um, and you have this foot on and the other boat pulls up, this happened to me all the time at camp, and you're trying to hold it with one foot, right? And you're doing something else and you're trying to hold it, one foot in, one foot out. Um, and sometimes you can, you can do it for about three minutes and you're fine. But after that, your legs start to burn. If a wave comes, it's super uncomfortable. You need to dock the boat or get in the boat, one or the other. Um, and so that's kind of how I felt for about a year. I was in this half in, half out tension, and I just felt like my legs were like literally splitting apart. Um, and I needed to make a decision because I had one life going completely this way and another life going completely that way. Um, but then the Lord used a pretty wild week um, in my life in the fall of my sophomore year of college. Um, some really hard things. My dad got cancer. I got this nasty concussion in volleyball because I got smacked in the face. And um, 
I had the deepest form of conviction I had ever felt in my life, and probably to this day, um, to get out of a relationship that I was in that was unhealthy. Um, And that was when I finally came to this point in my life uh, where I was just like, I can't do it. I can't do it anymore. I have been looking for my whole remembering life uh, for something to satisfy my soul. The stuff I, didn't, I tried didn't work, none of it. Um, and being half in, half out was not okay anymore. So that was when I finally surrendered my life to the Lord, fully wholeheartedly jumped in the boat and was like, it's time, I'm all in. Um, and it was the best day of my life still, 100% uh, when I came to truly know the Lord. Um, But I think it's tempting in this part of the testimony to be like, and then she lived happily ever after, the end. Um, That is not at all how it happened. It was hard. It was like the hardest week um, of my life. But, and it was painful and stretching, but the best thing, because I finally had that moment where Jesus looked at me and it was as if, similar to the girl in the story, go get your husband. Um, But for me, it was, this is how I heard it. Uh, Go get your performance your sports, uh, your achievement, everything um, that you get praised for, go get it and bring it to me. Uh, Go get your anorexia, your body image, the stuff that you are struggling with it, bring that too. Go get your regrets, that the things that you've done with guys, the things that you know you shouldn't have done, go get that and bring it to me. Um, Go get your drunken nights, all of it. Go get that and bring it to me. Um, And go get your obsession with affirmation and bring it to me. And just so you know, I'm still struggling with that one um, this week as I was preparing for this. But it was as if he said, uh, go get everything that you're ashamed of, that you're not proud of, um, that you're struggling with, and bring them to me. Um, Not Same as the girl, not so that he can embarrass me or it could make him love me more or anything like that, but so that he could set me free, so I could stop hiding in the shame and in the bondage of the very thing he wanted to use to bring him the most glory through my life. Um, So it was as if he was telling me that all these things right now, they're painful, they're touchy, they're insecure, they're like the, did we just go there kind of situation. It seems like too much, I even, wrestled with saying all of it. Is it too much? But it's not. He's saying, go get it. Go get your real life stuff um, and bring it because he can handle it. Um, And it's going to take some time, but it was as if he was saying, I'm going to heal you. I'm going to make you free um, in that moment. Because an awesome verse that goes with this is, therefore, there is now no condemnation for anyone who is in Christ Jesus. That's Romans 8.1. And you have become a new creation, 2 Corinthians 5. Uh, The old is gone and the new has come. And that was about... Um, six years ago, which has been funny to think through that as I've been uh, thinking about it this week. It makes those songs that we were just singing all the more important (laughs) as you're saying, you're praising God, you're thinking about who I was um, and who I am now. Um, And I think it's funny because the lie Satan will kind of try to throw in when we are willing to say our stuff is like, shouldn't do that. They'll never look at you the same. And good. (laughs) I hope you don't. I hope you look at me and think, how the heck did she go from that to this? And the answer is only by the grace of God for the glory of God. So I hope you don't look at me the same um, for that purpose. 
So that was when I fully confessed my need for God. Um, and my answer, I got my answer to the question. And that my satisfaction, my contentment, my happiness was met in Christ. And that is still 100% true today. Um, so we're going to jump back into that passage um, back in John. If you want to whip out your phone or your Bible. John 4, 25. Um, it's kind of where this girl ends up to. She's about to end up at that same point um, that I was at. It says, the woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then the disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek? Why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out from the town and were coming to him. Then if you skip down to verse 39, um, it says, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony, just her testimony, which was, he told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days, and many more believed because of his word. So kind of in conclusion, that's a pretty amazing story, if you think about it. We've heard it a lot, um, probably, maybe you haven't, but... Jesus presses into this girl's um, insecurity, her most, her biggest, like, no, no, like her most tender place, uh, her biggest, deepest wound. Um, and she fought it, right? She deflected, but as soon as she realized who Jesus was, uh, she became free. She went from a girl, literally a girl hiding from this entire village, right? She's at the well at noon, she's by herself. She's ashamed, she wants the living water. She's hiding to a girl going back into the village telling anyone who will hear about Jesus. He changes her life. He does a flip, a 180, um, in what I can only assume is about 30 minutes. Uh, took me a lot longer. But, um, and just to wrap up the comparison of this story to my story, I would just say same. Um, like same. The same exact thing uh, happened to me. After looking in all the wrong places um, for a long time, I finally found uh, the only thing that will ever satisfy my soul, which is Jesus. Um, and it sent me from a girl with honestly not a lot of emotion, not a lot of personality. I was kind of a shell of a human to someone who is going back into the village, the people, the very people that I was just ashamed of, um, or ashamed to be seen by, trying to tell them about Jesus, simply by the word of her testimony. Um, but if you had told me even a few years ago that I would be doing this or saying this in front of you, I truly would have laughed, like, pretty hard. Um, I just wouldn't have believed it because it seems so shocking, right? It seems countercultural. You hear that story about that girl, and you're like, what? How can she be sharing the God? It just seems crazy. Um, but that's what Jesus does. He takes the broken, crummy, nasty, dark parts um, of our hearts, and he uses them as tools for his glory, 100% of the time, uh, if we're willing to get real with him. Um, so it's one of my favorite things that he does. Um, but he's not a controlling God, right? Like, he'll let you try all the things, but he's waiting um, for you when you're ready to bring it to him. Um, and this doesn't just go, this is kind of a sidebar before I wrap up, it doesn't just go for salvation, right? It's not just the one and done. Those were my big things. I like joke about them when people ask about, you know, certain things from my past. I'm like, oh, BC, BC. Like, 
Those are the things from before Christ. Um, and they are, but this also goes for everyday, regular life. I had to call my best friend this morning and just be like, hey, I'm struggling with this. I'm struggling with what all you people are gonna think about me after I give this talk. I'm really struggling with the affirmation of people. Like, will you pray for me? Yep, done. Um, so it goes on long after um, salvation. And I, this is a Matt Chandler quote, but he says, grace is for the journey. Um, not just the justification. And justification is just a fancy word for when he saves us. So he says grace is for the journey, and I love that. Grace is for the journey, not just the justification, the whole way through. Um, So, and I think that's something we have to remind ourselves of every single day. I look to things for satisfaction all the time. Literally, sometimes I'm scrolling on Instagram, and I'm like, this will not satisfy you. Like, I say that to myself. Because we go there. We go to Instagram, we go to people, we go to affirmation, we go to whatever it is, Um, but that's never going to satisfy us. So wrapping up uh, the application, what does this mean for you? You hear that and you're like, that is a sweet story, and it is a good story, and it's a story I'm going to tell for the rest of my life if the Lord lets me, Um, but what does that mean for us? What does that mean for you? What's the application? Um, And I would just say one, uh, the first thing is, are you asking yourself that question, I spent forever asking, and it seems like this woman at the well was asking, and that there's got to be more in life. Um, What is it? What is it? How can I get that water? Um, What is it that I'm longing for? And as we go into um, 120 seconds in just a few minutes, I just want you to think about that question. Is that where you are? Um, Are you longing for something? And then if it is, would you consider Jesus? Would you consider letting him meet your needs and be the satisfaction of your soul? Um, And if you would, if that's something you even are not sure, you're like, "Ah, I've been in that half in, half out train for a long time. Um, Would you consider talking to somebody about it? I know we say it all the time, but the prayer team is gonna be in the back. Me and Andy will be up at the front afterwards. Um, It's worth having a conversation if you're even just itching or asking yourself that question. Um, The second thing is, I shared those five things that I ran to um, and still battle running to today to find my hope and satisfaction in apart from Jesus. And I would just ask you, what are those things for you? Um, As we have this time to just sit here, this 120 seconds, I just want you to name it. What do you run to to find your satisfaction that is not the Lord? Um, It could be anything. It could be your phone. It could be another human. It could be a boyfriend or girlfriend. It could be the longing for marriage. It could be a million different things, but I just would challenge you to think through where do you go for your satisfaction, for your hope? Um, Where do you run personally? Um, And then the third one's a bit more of a challenge. Um, James 5, 16 says, confess your sins to one another, uh, pray for one another, and you will be healed. Um, And so once you talk to the Lord, if you confess and you believe, Um, in Jesus Christ, that he's raised from the dead, you will be saved, right? It says that in Romans. We're sealed with the Holy Spirit. You are safe, you are signed, you are sealed, you are delivered, you are good. Um, It has nothing to do with you and everything to do with God. By his grace, um, we believe through faith and we are saved. Um, But there is a lot of healing that comes when we confess to one another. It's a command in scripture. I'm gonna read it again. Confess your sins to one another, pray for one another, and you will be healed. Um, I spent way too much time with all this stuff that I just shared with y'all in the dark. I just left it in the dark. 
Um, and it is really hard to fight in the dark. Picture trying to have a fist fight with someone in the dark. There's no way. Um, and Satan beats us up in the dark. He was beating me up all day. Don't share that. Don't share that. That's too much. That's too far. Are you sure you want to say that? Um, he beats us up when the dark. we're in the dark. So I would just challenge you to get free. If you have something that is holding you in bondage, believe it or not, I would challenge you to get free. It loses so much power when we say it out loud. So much power, all its power. Because uh, it's, it's like telling a, your, somebody a bad dream. It seems so big and ridiculous in your head, but then when you say it out loud, you're like, oh, it's not nearly as bad as they thought it was. Um, so my challenge for that is don't leave here tonight if you have something um, on your heart that you know you need to get off. Uh, you're good with the Lord. There's no condemnation for anyone who's in Christ Jesus. I said that earlier. But you will find so much healing and freedom and power in saying it out loud. Uh, that's what our prayer team is here for. Me and Andy will be up here too. We would love to talk to you and to pray for you um, and to see you be healed. There's nothing better. Um, it's one of the best things ever. So that's a lot of heavy thoughts. <laughs> I felt like as I was reading this, I was like, ooh, we gotta take a deep breath. Um, it's just a lot to think about and to process. And amidst all of that, I just want you to be encouraged um, and reminded that Jesus came to free you and not to fix you of all your problems. He came to free you and not just to fix you. Just like this girl at the well, just like me, he wants to use your life for so much more than you can even imagine. John 10, 10 says the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but Jesus came so that we could have life and have it abundantly, full life. Um, and there is just so much hope in that. Um, but yeah, I'm gonna pray. We're gonna go into 120 seconds and you'll just have some time to think about these. But thanks for listening. Uh, bow with me. Heavenly Father, we just thank you <laughs> for today, we thank you that you are just so opposite of um, our culture and our humanity and what we think. Um, we thank you that your love is so much greater than anything we can imagine. We thank you that you came and you died for us. Um, and the certificate of our debt was nailed into the cross. You're not surprised. You rose from the dead. Um, and through you, we have freedom, we have life, uh, and we can find incredible healing. Um, so I just thank you. Thank you for saving me. Thank you that I get to share the story that you wrote. Um, and I just pray it would all be for your glory. It's in your name, pray. Amen.